Once you have all the R we've manifest, all the data, all the transactions, it's how you store that so the community can access it, right? It needs to know the token URI for each one. So it'd be like, you know, rweave.net slash manifest ID slash the token number. As long as that address goes somewhere and pulls up a JSON file, which contains another meta, which contains the metadata. So in that metadata, it says, what is the image for this NFT? It's this. What is the properties? What are the traits and, and, and ask, you know, the properties and traits that it has? It's all that stuff. You're tuned to the RCast, where we talk about the blockchain on the RCast and how your data remains the RCast, where R Drive is the topic, censorship resistant permanence. Yeah, we got it. Hey, friends. Welcome to the RCast. This is episode 32 with your host, Andrew. This week, we're talking to the co founder, Jim D, who works at generativenfts.io. He talks about how he uses Arweave to archive the NFT collections he creates and the process by which this happens. So it was an interesting technical interview, but also an interesting interview about his entrepreneurial background and how he got involved in this world. Uh, for those of you who are going to be in Denver, March 2nd, come to Arweave Day at ETH Denver. It's going to be a day full of panels, talks. I'm doing a live Rcast at the event. So check that out. It will be live streamed if you can't make it, but it's going to be really exciting. And We've got an announcement coming up soon. We're going to be offering free 100 kilobyte uploads. So more info on that. But if you're an R Drive user, this is an exciting way to upload those files that you have sitting around that you've never archived. Anyway, let's get into it. This is my interview with Jim D on the Rcast. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Rcast. We've got a expert in the field of generative NFTs, permanent storage. He knows a lot about Arweave, and uh, he's coming to us from Portland, and he's a, he's a cool dude. So, Jim, thank you for being on the Rcast. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks. Nice to be on with you. I read your article um, about archiving NFTs with Arweave. Tell me a little bit about your career and how you got into generative nfts.io and just how you got to this place. I know that's a big question. Yeah, no, that's, that's fine. I was a web developer for like 10 years before getting into NFTs. And then um, uh, if you remember in 2021, when, before it all blew up, uh, it, 2021 was a year, it all blew up. I mean, we've had NFTs since what, 2014 or 17 or something. But, uh, but when that, the Beeple sale happened specifically, uh, in 20, or I guess it was March of 2021. And he sold the $69 million, uh, his everyday's collection or whatever it was back then. It just blew my mind. It completely blew my mind. And I was just sitting there and, you know, COVID, we were still in kind of the COVID post, you know, coming out of that. And so my client base was, was like, not too exciting. It was all, everything was kind of dwindling down and I, and I was just kind of looking for the next thing, I guess. I mean, I was still, still had some work and everything, but it, it, I had a lot more free time back then. So I was, uh, I just got fascinated with NFTs and I was trying to figure out what in the hell they even were. And this is back before the board apes or anything. And so I, um, I, st I stumbled upon a generative set. I believe they were called the Monas or something. It was on Reddit. And I was like, how are they doing this? Were they making all these different ones? And I, at the time I wasn't even sure if it was a programmatic thing. I, I was just thinking like, maybe you had to like, just change it a little and save it and re-upload it or like I, but I got fascinated by the whole process of like, Oh wait, how can you create generative NFTs? Like I didn't even know they were called generative NFTs at the time. I just knew they were like different 
things and they were unique and they were, I just kind of had very broad notions of what it even was. So I started screwing around with cat pictures and mm -hmm. I started making, they're on, they're on my OpenSea account. They're called uh, tuxedo cats or NF tuxedo cats. I call them. And I started just screwing around with it. And the first thing I did was trying to figure out how to make generative NFTs, you know, how to do that. So I was just, I mean, fortunately I was a web developer already. So I kind of had the right background in terms of coding. So I thought I'll screw around with code. So I'm just in my office just screwing off cat pictures every day. And, uh, and I started uploading them to OpenSea. And I remember telling my friends, like, check this out. I just put these cat pictures for sale on, on this website. And people were like, well, that's the dumbest thing I've heard. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so stupid. And I remember sitting there one day and my phone went off. I was like, hey, somebody bought one for like 10 bucks or something. I sold a cat picture. I can't believe this. And it was, you know, it was a laugh for a while. And then, then I sold another one. Another. It wasn't like it went crazy or anything. I only sold probably like 10 or 20 of them. But still, it was just neat to see. And I was like, wow, people are buying these. And I, then I kept looking yeah. at it more. And by then I had like, man, I, I probably had like $200 in ETH to my name. Like I had been saving it. Like I wasn't like a big investor or anything. You know, I was just like casually throwing some money at, at crypto during that during that period and i remember the, the apes came out and i was like i was like am i gonna spend 200 that's all my eth i'm not gonna buy one of these things so i just ignored it which is the dumbest thing i ever did of course looking back um but anyway i kept screwing around with it and then uh i would publish articles on it and people started calling me saying hey i'm i want to do this too i want to can you help me so at first i was just like yeah uh you know i'll you know, just helping people out as kind of gig work. I was just like, I'd make the set for them or whatever, or something like that. And then um, the the calls just kept coming back then. I mean, 2021 was a whole different animal. If anybody's getting into it now, or even just as of like mid last year, it is nothing like 2021 was. 2021 was out of control. Mm. And so I would just happen to be like, I always tell friends, like I was like on a paddleboard out in the ocean, just screwing around. Nobody was around. And this tidal wave came by. And it was like me and like, you know, 10 or 20 other people instead of it, millions as like it is now. But we just rode that thing in. And man, people just started calling like hundreds and hundreds of calls, sometimes 100 in a day when it really kicked in. And, and I, it, I couldn't even handle it. So um, fortunately, my, my wife, I said, look, you, you figure this part out. So she just started running the company. And that's when we formed like generative NFTs kind of. And she became the CEO and I was just kind of trying to do the coding, but it was like overwhelming for her even because I mean, it was just like those calls were just kept coming and come. Everybody wanted to do sets. And there weren't a lot of people who at the time could generate a set, much less get it online somehow. So it was, it was a really, really insane period of time. And from there, we just, we just sort of, you know, specialized and we kept at it. A lot of people came and went and so forth, but we kept at it. And that's just our core model. So we're called generativenfts.io. And that's just our specialty. I mean, I know there's lots of kinds of NFTs and lots of chains. We're like ETH maxis here. Like we just, I only focused on ETH NFTs because as far as I'm concerned, that's like the main street. I mean, I respect that there's other chains and other hot areas and stuff, but you know, just that's, that's our main focus is ETH NFT. So, so big sets of like, you know, five to 10,000, Usually they're 10K. They always used to be 10K, but now with the bear market, you see some different numbers a lot. Uh, but that's what we do. We just, so we work with a, it, it, our process. You know, we have artists who come and sometimes whole teams, but we usually start with the artists and we do all the things about helping them make their layers and build rarity tables and, you know, talk about all the strategies behind that. And then we generate the NFTs and they're all unique, you know, programmatically unique. And they, 
they have rarity scores. And then we, and we have the metadata, of course, that goes along with that. And then comes the part where, you know, you and I all get into some specifics about storage. But um, so, so originally the, the, the solution was IPFS. Everybody just went to IPFS back then. And, and that's fine. I mean, I get it. IPFS is there. It's, it does what it does. But, you know, back then, what, what happened for me was that I soon learned, okay, now we need a pinning service. It's like, oh, okay, well, what, how do we do that? Well, there's Pinata. I mean, I don't care if I say names. That was one of the big ones. And it was X amount of dollars for this many pins. And, you know, it, the mo pricing models were, you know, when you looked at it, it was like, okay, that's, that's sustainable. I get that. You know, you see, you pay this much money and you understand it's going to go on forever. You know, you can... <laughs> But then when you start asking these people questions like, well, what happens if I ever like retire or if I win the lottery and I don't feel like, you know, keeping up with my pinata subscription, what happens if it's not pinned anymore? Well, we don't know. It's just, we're not going to pin it. I'm like, yeah, but what does that mean? If you know you don't pin it, then who's going to pin it? Well, somebody else has to pin it. Yeah, but, but what happens? And then you never get a straight answer from anybody about that. But the, that's because the straight answer is, is what nobody wants to, to talk about. In, in this permanent storage field, which is that, well, there's this thing called garbage collection on IPFS. <laughs> and if, you know, if you have a set, for example, of NFTs where nobody's requesting that information kind of constantly, then you're telling the algorithm that those particular things that you've formerly pinned or that you have pinned are not really that important anymore. And so after, mm. a, cer after, after a certain amount of time, the algorithm is going to say, hey, this stuff is garbage. Literally, that's what it calls it. I mean, that's like technical term it uses was garbage collection. And so they could delete your content, which is, you know, I understand that that's a possibility. And uh, but when when you're talking about NFTs in particular, the expectation of the public and of NFT teams is that, you know, in five, 10 years down the line, they're still going to be there, even if they're not a popular set. I mean, like the Bored Apes, for example, one of the biggest generative sets there are, they're, they're getting called. You know, the people are requesting those files all the time. And I would assume, I'm not an expert on IPFS, but I would assume that the uh, that tells their algorithm that those are popular files and whether they're pinned or not, or whether that just the, the volume of requests they get takes care of their ensuring their ongoing viability. I, I'm not exactly sure, but um, compare that to a set that maybe took six months to mint out and it doesn't get a lot of activity. So maybe you have holders and maybe they're just not, actively ping an IPFS all the time. Hmm. What does that tell the IPFS algorithm? That maybe they are garbage, but maybe they're pinned, which is fine. But what if somebody stops paying that monthly subscription for pinning? Um, and, 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 and it gets more technical than that in a lot of different ways. I mean, for example, you know, if you're looking at, a, at an NFT on OpenSea, I don't think you're really looking at the IPFS image every time because OpenSea is caching those things locally on their servers to for their, for their own site's performance. Um, so if you go to all the different marketplaces what you're actually looking at might not be in the ipfs link it's image itself unless it freshly pulls it because there's a lot of latency in that whole system and i don't think you just build one that just constantly pulls ten thousand images all the time you have to it's a whole other architecture type type of question but the bottom line is that using ipfs you, you and if you don't maintain those pins whether one way or another whether you pay somebody or whether you try to do it yourself by some you know running a node then you could lose the data or the data could go off of the system. So I started looking around. I didn't like that. And plus, I think possibly because of the popularity of the, um, of the NFT industry specifically, where you have generative sets of 10,000 
which make uh, items at a time, take that times like thousands of people running sets, take that times how many gigs each of data is each one. I mean, depending on whether your uh, teams are doing high res or not, uh, a typical set of 10,000 images for a, for a uh, generative NFT set would run anywhere from like on the low end, maybe three or four gigs to the mm -hmm. high end, 30 gigs, 40 gigs. It really depends on how high res you're going to go. Um, you know, if, look at some some of the, I remember like in 2021, there was like Galaxy Eggs, I remember. I think these were like 2K or 4K. I remember those being really big files very early on in the space. I, I don't yeah. know some of the others. I think, you know, if you look at Bored Apes, I think they're like 600 pixels by 600 pixels or something like that. As a matter of fact, I think that's 632, I think, by 632 is what the original Bored Apes are. So they're not exactly like, you know, uh, five megs per image. They're probably like 500K or something. Um, but... So anyway, I started looking around for what other solutions that there are out there. And long story short, I really liked um, what I was seeing at Arweave because they had this model that said, hey, pay once at the beginning with your our AR tokens and that we're going to create perma storage from there. And then, then part of that, I, maybe you can talk about this part more because I'm kind of interested. But my understanding is that you buy these tokens and uh, part of the fee for uploading it goes toward the perma storage costs, I guess. So when that company receives, whoever receives those AR tokens that you use to upload, I guess holds them and that's sort of like staked AR or something. I don't, I don't know what the tokenomics of it are. I don't understand that part. But that fee that you pay goes toward the perma storage. That's how it's funded as far as I understand. And, um, you know, I've read a lot of the white papers and things about how it's, um, you know, they say, well, it's designed to be stored for 200 years or so what they say. Um, but I really like that model because if anything happens to anybody, whether they something great comes along or they die or whatever, <laughs> it's up there, it's there. There's no like pinning to worry about. There's no constant monthly fee, and um, you know, it's it's just it's just better in my opinion. So I've switched yeah. over to this model, and what I do now is um, my the first the first way in I think which is great for most people is using the AR drive drive.io uh, it's a GUI for the system it's great it's super easy you just connect your wallet I also have some articles on my medium about how to acquire the AR tokens to begin with uh, it's a little bit you know I think that process could be uh, I think in the future it might become easier I'd love to see some of those those coins on like big exchanges but that said it's not exactly that difficult to get so you go and you swap your ETH to get some AR tokens and boom once you have that wallet you're set so there's a little bit of setup in, in this uh, ecosystem, but once you do have it, boom, start off with the AR drive. It's just so easy. You just upload to a, it's just like uh, being on folders on your computer, create directories, create files, create folders, upload stuff to it. Um, but for NFTs, as other developers may uh, learn, it, the CLI is way better. It's way faster and it's just way more powerful. So, um, while I do still use R drive for basically some of the easy stuff, like it's just easier to maybe create some directory and kind of look visually and see, it's nice to see kind of visual, visually what you're doing sometimes. So I might use it for some of the early stuff, like setting up directories, but once I'm actually uploading stuff, I do all that programmatically nowadays uh, with our weave and um, the CLI is great. It's got a lot of super tools in it. It's just, the commands are pretty intuitively uh, structured. It's easy to understand. Documentation is great on it. You just go to GitHub. You can read the whole gamut of 
you know, what's available for you to do. And it's pretty much anything you need is there. Uh, uploading this, uploading that, doing this, doing that. It's all, it's all there. And um, so, yeah, what I do for, uh, for uh, you know, like a set of 10,000 is I like to break it into chunks of a few gigs a piece. You know, like I've gotten away with more than what the limit is <laughs> on the hard drive. It's like, don't do more than this. And I've, tr- I've like, I've gone a few X over that, you know, like, <laughs> Like it's, I think it's like 1.5 gig or something. I think I did like three or four gigs a couple of times. I went through. Oh, wow. Uh, I had one get screwed up when I was trying it. I was just seeing how far I could push it. Uh, but if I also have fiber here. So maybe that's part of why I was able to kind of push the limit a little. Uh, we have gigabit service here in Portland. Um, so the upload speed is just insane. So that probably helps. If you, I think you're on you know, regular broadband. You probably can't push the limit too much. Um, but so I break it into chunks of, of several couple gigs a piece and then, um, just use the CLI tool to, uh, upload. And it's really cool because, you know, you get right away, you get uh, back a big JSON wad of data saying, well, here's the folder we made for you. And here's the, all the stuff. And then what I do is I check the, um, I go back, you got to give it a few minutes. There's a little, you know, there's a little bit of latency because it's kind of like a, it's like a blockchain kind of. So I don't know exactly if it's a blockchain or if it's a, it's a, it's a uh, blockchain type ecosystem. So you got to give it a minute to register everything. So then, which is good, which is fine. So usually I upload and then I give it like five minutes and then I uh, run another command to say, all right, sh- give me a report of what I just did. You know, it's like, uh, you know, view the parent, I forget the command offhand, but <clears throat> show me the folder contents or whatever of what I just did. So you get back another JSON wad of all the stuff. And so I know how many is supposed to be in there. For example, let's say there's going to be um, a thousand images that I just uploaded. So I'll get that JSON. And then what I do is I just, I just uh, save that out to another file. And I just also programmatically, I have a little script that I wrote to just parse it. It just says, it just kind of counts how many transaction IDs there actually are in there. And so I'll, if, I, if I'm expecting that there's a thousand and I run my script and it says there's a thousand, then I knew they're. Then I know they're all sort of on the chain, so to speak, and they're all there, and I can just kind of go forward. Because sometimes there's, like I said, it takes a few minutes to actually process all that. So sometimes I'll I'll take that I'll get that JSON back, and then I'll analyze it, and it'll say like, oh, there's um you know 950 there, which means 50 of them aren't quite done yet. Yeah. So I don't get the storage IDs of those last 50s until until they're done. So I give it a few minutes and I run it. Once I got all the storage IDs, I'm good. Or it's the data transaction ID, sorry. But that's sort of my process. And then I build, go back and store that and I build that back into the metadata for the NFTs. And the metadata contains an image link, you know, for example, and that'll be like rweave.net slash the, the storage ID or the transaction ID. And if you go to that URL, boom, you have your image. So we just, it's just that times 10,000 for a generative set. <laughs> so. so that metadata, you're updating where? If it's a sellout set, and that metadata can also be permanent. Like, for example, if the, if the set's done, then I, that needs to be on a permanent place too. So I would actually put that on our weave as well. Uh, what I would do is I, I uh, the way the ERC 721s work is you have like your token ID is like, um, say you own token one, two, three, right? There's like a, a token URI command value in the smart contract. And, and so it'll say like, um, hmm. You need an address slash, and it'll be one, a slash one, two, three, for example. That would give you token one, two, three. So on um, Arweave, 
what's really handy for that is uh, what's called a manifest. So you can update, you can send a folder up to there. Say you have a hundred items, then you have these like a hundred different IDs in that in that folder, those representing one per image, right? So it'd be rwave.net slash that would be the image name. That said, um, if, I, if I were to upload metadata, I want it to have the, the, the name one, the file name is one, two, three, for example, for ID number one, two, three. So I want it to be accessed at something slash one, two, three. So for that, we can create um, a manifest on, on uh, our, our drive. And so what I do is I upload a, a folder of, of these um, JSON files. It assigns a storage ID to each one, but it also keeps track of the actual name of the file, which is one. So if I create this thing called a manifest, it gives me another address like rweave.net slash a manifest ID, and then put a slash after that, and then I can access the contents via um, the, uh, the ID, I believe. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, I'm trying to, try to keep it all in my head. Yeah. But, um, anyway, that's using this thing called a manifest, which is a feature of the, of the Rweave ecosystem. I can accomplish that, that same thing. So that's how I'm able to, uh, mm. to do that. So that would be, if the set sells out, I would put it directly on Rweave. If it does not sell out, I would keep it on a private uh, reveal API that I have. Um, and then I would wait for it to sell out before I put it in perma storage on, on Rweave. Once you have all the Rweave manifests, all the data, all the transactions, it's how you store that so the community can access it, right? It needs to know the token URI for each one. So it'd be like, you know, rweave.net slash manifest ID slash the token number. As long as that address goes somewhere and pulls up a JSON file, which contains another meta, which contains the metadata. So in that metadata, it says, what is the image for this NFT? It's this. What is the properties? What are the traits and, and, and ask, you know, the properties and traits that it has? It's all that stuff. And then you can put some other stuff like the description in there of the set. So every, there'll be 10,000 files like that at least on the ETH ecosystem, that's how that works. And so, um, yeah, you, as long as that, that file, that, that first JSON file is available uh, at some standard link, then you can you just store the, uh, the metadata in that file, and then it points out. There's, there's a lot of coordination of, of like, um, you know, URLs and, and data and stuff like that. It's a lot of detail. But that's how it works, basically. It's permanent, then, and, and it's beautiful once you figure that out. No, it, it, that's yeah, because once it's all set, like once a set's sold out, you have the metadata on our weave and the images on our weave, and the metadata points to the images. So it's all you know interconnected and all that kind of stuff. So you have to, you know, programmatically do all this stuff. But once it's all set up, it's set up. So it's cool about you know um, what's cool about our weave and, and the permanent storage. I think is that. It's you know it's permanent. So to me, you know, Arweave is is a is a um, like a storage protocol. It's like a it's like a chain. So that's to me, it's just as good as as any you know quote unquote on chain NFT because you're it's there and it's permanent. It's all hard coded in there. So it's it's super nice and super convenient. It's done. You can go on to the next thing without worrying about anything else. Well, I guess you know there's always things, but you'd worry about that with anything. You know, there's there's always something that could go on any system, whether it's IPFS or Arweave or ethereum blockchain itself or anything i mean i like your thesis that there's less to worry about once you can 
archive everything, create the manifest, and then have it interact with a smart contract. Like that sounds like those steps. Once you got that, you can move on. Right. It, totally. Yeah. That, and for me, you know, an agency where I have like n multiple clients and all that kind of stuff, I don't want to have to return and fix something in even in whether it's in one year or five years or 10 years, I don't want to have to go back and figure that out. I just want to be done and go to the next thing, at least in terms of that, that steps, you know, like those steps, I want the storage just be permanent and be forever and not to worry about it. So I, I really like this model. And I like the fact that it's, that the adoption seems to be, uh, you know, beyond whatever critical level, a new chain or a new, a new protocol needs in order to achieve lasting success. I mean, AR, our weave seems like it's got, uh, um, that critical level of adoption or further. I mean, I'm not, I wish I knew more about like, you know, the, that aspect of it, but it seems like it's been pretty well adopted and people are liking it. And uh, so I, you know, I, I feel confident about it. So, yeah. That's what's up. I, you know, I love um, Jim is how you figured out all these different things that we work on the messaging about, like how our drive is a great, um, GUI to make it easier to access and the manifest. This is all messaging that you've kind of as from your programming and business savvy mind, you've pieced together. And it's really, this, this interview is a really cool um, primer for people who are new to this space. You know, like you, it, the idea that this makes things efficient. If you have generative NFTs, you're going to want people to know where they are and then it gives it yeah. more value. And it's it's really interesting. Like, and you're you're a really good writer. You explain things well. Where can the audience keep in touch with your work? Like, where do you like to send people? Because I know you have a lot of projects. I do. Well, you can always find me on. Uh, I'm on Twitter all the time. My username is Swigga Juice. It's S W I G G A J U I C E, which is a joke because my dad's always drinking orange juice. He's like, I'm gonna get Swigga Juice. I always just call myself that. So I don't know why, but uh, you know, they can find me at a medium Jim D. J -I -M -D -E dot medium com. So I'm on there all the time. That's the main place where I, I'm more of a long form writer than a, than a tweeter. And so as you can see, I just blather on about, about topics. I almost wish that when we're talking about things like the manifests, like that's something I could spend like a, it could be like a two hour session at, at a, at a you know, conference. Yeah. Or something like that. Like, <laughs> let's look at how to do this specifically and show people. Cause it sounds so, it sounds scary. And I don't mean to, you know, scare away anybody. I mean, I think if people are just looking for perma storage solutions, this is a great, this is just as a perfect thing for them, even though they, there's a little bit of setup and they got to get the tokens and whatnot. But, um, you know, if they're looking to work it into their, into their, uh, into their process, then, you know, you have to, you have to spend a little bit more time investing in it and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think there are some, you know, terms of art that need to be learned and you have to kind of come in and say, well, I need something that can do this. Like, this is what I did and when I was trying to discover what manifests even are. Like, I wouldn't have thought to call it a manifest. I didn't know. I just like, I need something with this feature. And I was like, what's, what's a manifest? And I start reading about it. Oh, that's what I need. No, it's it's like, perfect, perfect. So I get that there's like, there's like a little bit of hurdle in terms of learning the ecosystem and the terminology. Yeah, the idea is we're creating the story so people are, are curious and it will keep evolving. But like, this is the backbone of Web3 where... It will be here for 200 years or more. And this interview that we're doing will be stored on our weave on the Permacast Network. So it's like people can find this, piece together how you figure out what a manifest was. And um, I think it's like 
it's a hopeful thing, right? We're able to have hope that these tools will be helping preserve their culture and our stories in a beautiful way, man. So there's like four different articles on on our weave on my blog, and they're all I think interlinked to each other. There's like and, and it's they're great to kind of to take two seconds. How to it's like set up how to start, how to get your AR tokens. That's like step one. Step two is how to do it this way. Step three is how to do it the other way. Step three is how to do it by the CLI. So I kind of like to show people there's more screenshots and things like that. And, and uh, so if, if you go to those articles, I think it'll help people, especially in the NFT space. It's great, Jim. Good, good conversation. And we'll keep in touch. We'll keep following your work. And now we know more about this solution to this problem. So that's tight. Yeah, man. Thanks, Andrew. Nice talking with you. You too. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. More info on Our Weave Day coming soon. We'll see you at East Denver. We're also going to be at South by Southwest. We have a launch party for a special secret project we're working on. And check out the new Ari rap. It's about Our Weave. It's on Twitter. It's on YouTube. It's everywhere. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. I'm Andrew. This has been the Artcast.